the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That was weird. <laughs> why, why was I hearing myself speak on a record? <laughs> it said, welcome back, Hour 2. This is Seth Leafson. Well, let me do it live. <laughs> I am here live. Should I hold up a? <laughs> should I hold up something that proves that I'm here live? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. You weren't, you weren't able to hear. It was just a recording. I, I didn't need to speak. It was like AI had come in and said, welcome back to Hour 2. This is Seth Leapson. It's all right. I am here live. I'll prove it to you. It's Friday, September 8th, 4.07 p.m. Okay, 602-508-0960, 602-5080-960. Lawrence Tribe, many of you may know of him. Um, for many, many, many years, he was the go-to constitutional scholar at Harvard. Uh, if it wasn't Alan Dershowitz, it was Lawrence Tribe. And Lawrence Tribe had the, um, had the textbook, had the con law textbook. Uh, Dershowitz had written a criminal law textbook. But Lawrence Tribe had one of the most well-used, uh, most well-sold constitutional law textbooks and uh, was the big con law teacher at Harvard for many years, always testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee against Republican nominees. And he is the one who has come up with and has been uh, bruiting about, you like that word, bruiting? Bruiting about this notion that you can use the 14th Amendment without a jury trial, without a bench trial, without an impeachment, without anything that you can prevent Donald Trump from being eligible to be president of the United States, again, based on the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment. Well, that's who Lawrence Tribe is. And uh, Jonathan Turley has an op-ed. It's, it's been about as much, uh, how, would, how would Winston Churchill put it? He's, he's had about as much fun up with which he can put with regard to Lawrence Tribe. Uh, again, remember Jonathan Turley, not himself a man of the right, just a man of common sense. By the way, man of common sense. I, I made I made the point in the last hour that you know every presidential campaign has a little bit of a theme, has a an undercurrent to it. Every every presidential race, every four years, has a bit of an undercurrent, a definable undercurrent and theme that kind of that kind of speaks to what's going on in um, in the country and in the election and in the candidacies. And I was suggesting or theorizing that maybe, maybe it might be in 2024, the truth versus my truth, based on that uh, interaction Ron DeSantis had with a, um, with a protester but, uh, that I played earlier in the uh, last hour. But it also might be, and in a way I would prefer it to be, um, the great line that I think we have to credit or should credit uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders with, governor of uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, right? This is not about left or right, but about normal versus crazy. Uh, that would probably be the better way to uh, to hope that the theme of the next campaign 
presidential campaign next year would go. I like that framing much better. The truth versus my truth requires a certain a certain holding of the hand through a philosophical argument that most people probably don't have the patience for or even the ability to want to have the patience for in understanding. But I like this idea, normal versus crazy, not left or right, normal versus crazy. Ronald Reagan had pitched it in 1964 on behalf of Barry Goldwater in that great NBC televised speech that um, this wasn't about left or right. It was about up or down. You'll recall from his time for choosing speech. But I think for today, it's no longer up or down. It is the normal versus crazy. In any event, Jonathan Turley writes, this week, CNN's Aaron Burnett out front offered what has become a staple of liberal cable news. Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe assuring Democrats that they are justified in an unconstitutional effort while attacking opposing views as nonsense. I was singled out on the occasion for Tribe's latest personal attack because I voiced a legal opinion different from his own. Being attacked by Tribe as a hack, his word, is not as much of a distinction as one might expect. Indeed, it is relatively tame in comparison to Tribe's past vulgar and juvenile assaults on others. Tribe has attacked figures like Mitch McConnell as McTurtle and a flagrant something I can't say. He attacked former Attorney General Bill Barr's religion and thrills his followers by referring to Trump as a, another word I cannot say. Tribe often shows little patience for the niceties of constitutional law or tradition. He has supported the call for packing the Supreme Court as long overdue. He has also supported an array of debunked conspiracy theories like denouncing Barr as guilty of the monstrous act of shooting protesters in Lafayette Park with rubber bullets to make way for a photo op, a claim to be totally, utterly untrue. Some of Tribe's conspiracy theories are quickly disproven, like his sensational sensational claim of an anti-Trump figure being killed in Russia. Nevertheless, Tribe remains the the break-the-glass academic for Democratic leaders when political expedience requires a patina of constitutional legitimacy. I have long disagreed with Tribe over his strikingly convenient interpretations of the Constitution. We crossed swords decades ago during the impeachment of Bill Clinton when Tribe argued that it was not an impeachable offense for Clinton to lie under oath. Even though a federal court and even Democrats admitted that Clinton committed the crime of perjury, Tribe assured Democrats that it fell entirely outside of the constitutional standard of a high crime and misdemeanor. However, Trump would later say that Trump's call to Ukraine was clearly and undeniably impeachable, a high crime and misdemeanor. Indeed, Tribe insisted that Trump could be charged with a long list of criminal charges that no prosecutor ever pursued, including treason. Tribe even declared Trump guilty of the attempted murder of Vice President Mike Pence on January 6, 2021, even though no prosecutor has ever suggested such a charge. Tribe assured CNN that the crime was already established without any doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond any doubt, quote, unquote. That is the key to Tribe's appeal, the absence of doubt. Every constitutional road seems to inevitably lead to where Democrats want to go, from court packing to unilateral executive action. Take student loan forgiveness. Even former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi acknowledged the effort to wipe out hundreds of millions of dollars of student loans would be clearly unconstitutional. However, Lawrence Tribe assured President Biden that it was entirely legal. It was, of course, later found unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. 
Tribe was also there to support Biden when no other legal expert was on the national eviction moratorium. The problem, Biden admitted, was his own lawyers told him that it would be flagrantly unconstitutional. That's when Speaker Nancy Pelosi gave Biden the familiar advice, call Tribe. Biden then cited Tribe as assuring him that he had authority to act alone. It was, of course, then quickly also found to be unconstitutional. Even Democratic laws that were treated as laughable were found lawful by Tribe. For example, the resistance in California passed a clearly unconstitutional law that would have barred presidential candidates from appearing on the state ballots without disclosing tax records. Tribe heralded the law as clearly constitutional and lambasted law professors, stating the obvious that it would be struck down. It was not just struck down by the California Supreme Court, but struck down unanimously by the California Supreme Court. Likewise, California Governor Gavin Newsom pushed for the passage of an anti-gun rights law that was used to mock the holding of the Supreme Court's abortion ruling in Dobbs. Yet Tribe declared the effort and inspired, as inspired and attacked those of us who stated that it was a political stunt that would be found legally invalid. It was quickly enjoined by the courts as unconstitutional. In an age of rage, the most irate reigns supreme. And there is no one who brings greater righteous anger than Lawrence Tribe. That is evident in arguably the most dangerous theory now being pushed by Tribe and the source of his latest attack on me, me being Jonathan Turley. Democrats are pushing a new interpretation of the 14th Amendment that would allow state officials to bar Trump from the ballots, preventing citizens from voting for the candidate now tied with Joe Biden for the 2024 election. This is all being argued by Tribe and others as protecting democracy by blocking a Democratic vote. Democrats have claimed that the 14th Amendment prevents Trump from running because he supported an insurrection or rebellion. When we come back on the other side of this break, I'll give you the rest of Jonathan, Cur- Jonathan Turley's takedown and explanation as to why Trump is so wrong. I'm Seth Liebson, live, 602-508-0960. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. I'm reading to you Jonathan Turley's takedown of Lawrence Tribe, particularly now moving on after he went through the litany of things Lawrence Tribe has been wrong about and found to be wrong by unanimous courts, not only the U.S. Supreme Court, but the California Supreme Court, unanimous decisions on Almost every major issue he's weighed in on in the last uh, five or six years, particularly when it was about supporting Democrats and arguing against Republicans. Lawrence Tribe, as some of you know, and maybe bears worth repeating, is the um, is the uh, major proponent, if not inventor of the notion that Donald Trump can be prevented from being eligible for president under the 14th Amendment Insurrection Clause. That is to say, as Tribe is arguing to protect democracy, he is blocking a Democratic vote with this theory. So back to Turley. Democrats have claimed that the 14th Amendment prevents Trump from running because he supported an insurrection or rebellion. They have argued that this long dormant clause can be used to block not just Trump, but 120 Republicans in Congress for running for office. I have long rejected this theory as contrary to the text and history of the 14th Amendment, even figures attacked wrongly by Trump, such as Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, have denounced this theory as dangerous and wrong. 
Tribe was set off in his latest CNN interview after I noted that this theory lacks any limiting principle. Advocates are suggesting that courts could then start banning candidates by interpreting riots as insurrections. After I noted that the amendment was ratified after an actual rebellion where hundreds of thousands died, Tribe declared such comparisons as, quote-unquote, nonsense. He asked, quote, how many have to die before we enforced this? There were several who died at the Capitol during the insurrection, close quote. There were several who died at the Capitol during the insurrection, close quote. That's Lawrence Tribe. My comment was not to do a head count, but to note that since Tribe believes that there is no need for a congressional vote, one would at least expect a charge of rebellion or any insurrection by Trump or against Trump, yet Trump was not even charged with incitement. Not even special counsel Jack Smith has charged him with incitement in his two indictments. The 14th Amendment theory is the perfect vehicle for the age of rage and tribe, again, has supplied the perfect rage-filled analysis to support it. The merits matter little in these times. You can be wrong so long as you are righteously and outrageously wrong. It kind of goes back to the monologue in the first hour where someone like Lawrence Tribe can say there were several people who died on January 6th at the riot. When he says that, it's much like what I was saying the Arizona Republic printed in the story yesterday about Joe Biden and there being no evidence of his working with his son, Hunter. Um, I don't know if they simply don't know the facts or if they do know the facts and are deliberately distorting them. In other words, I don't know if they suffer from invincible ignorance or if they suffer from insufferable propagandization. And I don't know which is worse. When you have scholars, Harvard Law scholars, who can deliberately say things that are manifestly untrue, like several people died on January 6th at the state capitol, when you can have people actually say that who teach law at Harvard, who write con law textbooks, and who are promoting the theory— promoting the theory that Donald Trump and 120 other congressmen are ineligible to be president because of the 14th Amendment's insurrection rebellion clause, and they're basing it on a fact that is not a fact. They're basing it on a lie. They're basing it on something that's not true. They're basing it on a fabrication. It makes you wonder about what they actually know with regard to the legal claim they're making, with the legal claim, uh, with the with the constitutional understanding they have about the Fourteenth Amendment, falsus uno, falsus omnibus might be too much of a stretch. False in one, false in all, but there should be something about the Gelman amnesia thesis, which Michael Crichton talked about. When you read something you know about in the paper, or when you read about yourself in the paper, and you see so many wrong things. Why do you flip five pages later and think what you're reading is accurate about a totally different story? When you hear Lawrence Tribe make that claim about several who died at the Capitol during the insurrection, several who died at the Capitol during the insurrection, a fact that is nowhere to be found in any world of reality, it just didn't happen. Why do we think he has any merit or claim on merit in what he's trying to tell us and sell us as a bill of 
goods with regard to the constitutional authority to deprive 120 congressmen and Donald Trump from holding office again. It's a monumentally strong point to say we are going to deprive the number one contender for office and incumbents for office from eligibility based on a really rare reading of, a, of the 14th Amendment Clause that has never been used ever since its inception in the 1860s for this very purpose. It's a really, really strong point. Don't you think? Don't you think? Don't you think when you have a candidate who's running even with an incumbent and you have 120 incumbents this is supposedly to apply to, it should beg the question, who's for democracy here and who isn't? Who's for norms here and who isn't? Who's for civil war here and who isn't? You know, I'm getting just a little tired. I'm getting just a little tired of the left bemoaning divisiveness in this country and the left bemoaning that such divisions are going to lead to violence on the right in this country when they are the chief divisors, when they are the chief dividers, excuse me, when they are the chief dividers, we were the ones who broke norms? Again, I will ask. Name me one norm that Donald Trump broke. Name me one. Name me one. You don't think this is an extraordinary reach of power? And remember, too, Lawrence Tribe's thesis on using the 14th Amendment to deprive Donald Trump of eligibility for being president and 120 other incumbents? Incumbents. Remember, his theory is irrespective of a bench trial, which means a trial in front of a judge, Irrespective of a jury trial, that is to say, irrespective of a trial by jury, of an impeachment or impeachment conviction, irrespective of any finding. And there is, as Jonathan Turley said, not a single claim lodged in a single court of law in any of the states or any of the federal courts indicting or trying to indict Donald Trump for insurrection. Not a one. And you know damn well Jack Smith would have done it if he could have. But even he knew he couldn't. So we're just leaving it up to secretaries of state across the country to make these decisions based on Lawrence Tribe's theory that this is what it was intended to do. That's what we're doing. That is what he is suggesting. That is what MSNBC is promoting. That is what the Atlantic Monthly is promoting. And we're the breakers of norms. And we're the dividers. I sometimes wonder... With all this stuff that they're doing, I sometimes wonder if they're trying to provoke a reaction or an overreaction. I'm sometimes wondering that when you think about how well they used January 6th to taint the entirety of the the entirety of the Republican Party with it, how well they used it like the Reichstag fire. I wonder if that is their only go to political plan right now to provoke another overreaction. I just sometimes wonder. If so, who's the danger to democracy? If so, who's the danger to norms? If so, who's the danger to civility? If so, who's the danger to breaking up this country and turning something from a cold civil war into a hot civil war, ironically over an amendment that was meant to heal the nation that broke up over a civil war? 
I'm Seth Leapson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jim Rotford. I'm not in right now at the tone. Leave your name and number. I'll get back to you. That's how that Set show. the check bounced. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what Angel. Hey, Jimmy, sorry. It's Angel the check bounced. Exactly. Something like that. Usually it's not a good voicemail. My, when those answering machines came out, David, you, you're way too young. That's why we call you young, David, to remember them. But they were these big, you know, they were the size of a shoebox, really. And um, it was really cool. They were cool. You didn't have to be home to answer a call. And I wanted to get one for our house. I thought it would be a neat thing to have. And do you know what my dad said? There's no reason you would. My dad said, I've never missed a call I regretted. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't get one. I think ultimately we did. Yeah, I've never missed a call I regretted. And I wonder, do people get good voicemails anymore? I don't know. By and large, are you ever happy? I the the smart thing is here's here, I think the test is, and I think the new um, the 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 new um, the new way friends do it with each other is they just call each other and they don't leave a message because you just see that you missed a call. That's that's the new courtesy. I think there is a lost art to making funny voicemails. But then there's this other problem. Which is sometimes someone does leave you a message because it's important and they're a friend and you don't listen and you call them back and and they say, oh, and you could say, hey, sorry, I missed your call. And then the person A who did leave a message says, oh, well, did you hear my voice? And you, and you say, no, I just I just saw you called and I called you back. That's a breach of etiquette, too. I guess there's just no rules. Everything is anarchy. Is all no these good anymore. things can be all good <laughs> things can be used for ill, Al- the philosopher Alistair Mc- Alistair McDyer said, "All good things can be used for ill." And um, I was talking to a friend this morning about the second law of thermodynamics. No one knows the first law; we always just stampede to the second one. But the second law of thermody- thermodynamics is everything goes to crud. That's that's what that's that's what's happening right here. Even our bathroom. Someone tried. This is Paula Poundstone said. This is why we can't have nice things. That's an important phrase. This is why we can't have nice things. Someone in the ingenuity of office management, I mean office building management, this wasn't done here as a local thing. It was done as a corporate as a building-wide thing, building management thing. They put this whole how would Set of acu- bathroom accoutrements, the kind of thing you would find. It's a find. little tote box. Yeah, yes. it, it, but with interesting things in it. Yeah, the I'd kind of thing yeah. you would find at – there's only one restaurant in town I know that actually has a bathroom um, attendant. attendant yeah. yeah, and it has a big old spread of stuff. And they put things – you've got hair ties. You've got disposable nail filers. Again, folks, this is in the men's restaurant. Right. This is in the men's. <laughs> you've got three kinds of unguent for various kinds of skin issues. You've got disposable toothpicks and flossers. I rather like the hairspray that they They've included. got, yeah, you would. You I'm have hair. i the only person yeah, that's I, using Yeah, hairspray. I don't have hair. You have hair. So it work, you like that. And But this is why we can't have nice things. Am I losing you, Bill? This is what, They also had this other interesting thing, a face mister. I don't mean a face man. I mean something that mists your face. It was gone within a day. It's been absconded with and not replaced. So I'm on the lookout for people with particularly dewy skin. I want to find the culprit. But this is why we can't have nice things. People are just stealing this stuff now.
I sure hope they're listening because I'd like to make a few suggestions. Yeah. Aftershave, <laughs> of course disposable of course razors. Yeah. 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 Things that's, that belong yeah. in a men's restroom, not it, hair ties and nail files. Why do we have those hair? That is ridiculous. It is. Rid- My hair's not that long. No, no one's. <laughs> is. Well, do we have anyone? No. No, no we don't. No. Anyway, this is why we can't have nice things. All right, I got calls I got to take. Let me take the um, quick break real quick. Did we want to play William Buckley or not? Do we have him handy? We I don't, don't think have we have the audio. Oh, okay. We have <laughs> <him floating in laughs> all right, all that's fine. <laughs> that is floating around in our heads. David was reminding me when well, Bill Buckley ran for mayor of New York City in 1965 vis-a-vis that Lawrence Tribe thing that Jonathan Turley and I were talking about. Uh, he said, I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston Telephone Book than the first 2,000 faculty at Harvard. Yeah, that was the original populism, William Buckley. All right, 602-5089-60. Uh, the nice things we will have are your calls when we come right back. Is that uh, famous uh, I'll hurt double and triple tonguey? That's not easy stuff. He says it is. It isn't. He was master of it. Uh, what was that? The Green Lamp? The Green Hornet. The Green Hornet. The Green Hornet. The Green Hornet. Which is where uh, Bruce Lee kind of got famous. Is that right? Cato. He was his buddy. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. So was that who the mockery of Cato in the Pink Panther thing was based on? It must have been. The actor that played Cato was Bruce Lee. I understand. Yeah. But did you ever watch any of the Pink Panther movies? Actually, I have. Oh. W- would you watch one this weekend, please, with Peter Sellers? Please do. Oh, well, okay. Any of them. Just yeah, watch I like, one. I like a good Peter Sellers. Yeah, watch yeah. any of them, because he had a Cato manservant, so to speak. I think that's what he called him, Cato the manservant. And I wonder if it was based on that, if it was a mockery. I of, bet. I bet it I was. Bet he would true. attack him all the time. What? Yeah, no, that that was their relationship in the Pink Panther movies. Peter Sellers, Chief Inspector Clouseau, would hire Cato to attack him by surprise. <laughs> like he would hide in the refrigerator or hide in a closet or pounce on him in the middle of the night to keep Inspector Clouseau always on his guard. We should do that for like, we should not. birthdays we should, we, we, should, we should not be doing that. We'll put an ad out in the we, yellow pages. No, we should not be doing that. <laughs> But anyway, if you've never – that's a big lacuna in your cultural understanding. You need to – To you watch need, the Pink Panther. Yeah, to having never I seen watched, one. I uh, watched – gee, what was uh, – Steve Martin, he did one I think in the late 90s. Not the same. No. 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 You need the Peter Sellers. Do you know what they drove in the Green Hornet? No. Oh, come on. I'd never seen it. A very large, big, black Chrysler Imperial. Oh, okay. You're a Chrysler Imperial man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you? Hey, do you have? Have you listened to any of these Hugh Hewitt interviews on Fridays with Larry Arn? Mm-hmm. You know what? I was emailing with Hugh Hewitt this morning. They are fantastic. Have you heard him, Bill? They are fantastic. He, his last hour every Friday, he listen, He interviews Larry Arn, who's the president of Hillsdale College, former president of the Claremont Institute. And they walk through um, the history of Winston Churchill's writings every Friday. And they're going through Winston Churchill's – right now they're going through his history of, of World War One. Gallipoli. And it's so good. And Larry Arn will often talk about two of his greatest teachers. And one of them was Martin Gilbert, who was the official autobiographer of Winston Churchill, who Larry Arn was a research assistant to. 
and uh, I think married his daughter, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. And um, Harry Jaffa, who was, of course, my teacher. And Larry Arn tells these stories about Harry Jaffa, and I was telling Hugh, emailing Hugh, that th- they are the exact. I, I can. They are the exact stories I could tell of Harry Jaffa. He didn't change, and Larry would have had him probably a decade before me, if that sounds about right. Maybe a little more than a decade before me. It's the, he's the same guy. He had the gift of being himself. But uh, it's it's probably the most learned stuff on radio. It's probably you don't listen. I was doing an interview with uh, Hugh Hewitt back. I don't remember exactly what year it would have been. It must have been around 2010. Bill Bennett and I were actually doing an interview with Hugh Hewitt. Hugh Hewitt was interviewing Bill Bennett and and me uh, because we had a book on terrorism, The Fight of Our Lives. And uh, as part of the book tour, Bill and I would go around doing interviews, and we did one with Hugh Hewitt. And I remember uh, after the interview, uh, Bill said, did you really have to use the word perspicacity? And I said, I, I don't know. You know how I am. I just, I, I just grab the fastest thing I can reach. And he goes, well, I guess people don't tune in to Hugh Hewitt to be dumber. And I thought, Gosh, that's such a great point. You tune into Hugh Hewitt to get smarter, so why not? Why not? And the only thing that maybe I can make this relevant to, except a nice recommendation about listening to those Larry Arn Hugh, uh, Larry Arn Hugh Hewitt interviews, is this. Tomorrow is September 9th. Monday will be September 11th, just speaking about our book on terrorism, The Fight of Our Lives. I think you can still get it online. Uh, um, September 9th was an interesting day, and it teaches you something about the world. And, you know, I have this ongoing debate with many in our movement who want us to retreat more from the world. I'm not quite where they are. I'm not quite where some on, on my side are either, but I'm not quite where a lot of this new isolationism is is either. Um, On September 9th, it was printed in the New York Times, September 9th, 2001, it was printed in the New York Times that a bomb killed one Ahmed Shah Massoud. Ahmed Shah Massoud was known as the Lion of Panjir. He was the head of the Northern Alliance. He was, as some people said, the greatest ally America ever ever had. He was so with us in what we were trying to keep at bay in Afghanistan. Now, this was on September 9th in the New York Times. They reported his death. No one paid any attention. No one paid any attention at all to that on September 9th, 2001. What would be tomorrow, 22 years ago? Yeah, 22 years ago. And, um, of course, the whole reason he was killed was the precursor to what would take place two days later. Bin Laden and the Taliban knew that what they were about to do to us would have us going like hellfire into Afghanistan and relying on the Northern Alliance, which was our ally in Afghanistan, trying to overthrow the Taliban. By eliminating Ahmad Shah Massoud, the fight would be all the easier for the Taliban and al-Qaeda, right? They got rid of the commander. It'd be like taking out, you know, Dwight Eisenhower or something. And um, no one paid any attention, you know? 
Ahmad Shah Massoud was killed and no one paid any attention. And two days later, the world changed. Or as Alan Jackson said, the world stopped turning. Anyway, we'll do a we'll do a, an appropriate memorial on uh, on and about nine eleven. I remember why I used the word perspicacity too. By the way, I remember why I used it because we were talking about um, who the CIA and the FBI needed to be listening to, and the kinds of people they needed to be listening to, because they had become so involved in group not only groupthink. But turf protection, you know, they didn't want to share information. They, but they weren't listening to the outside and important voices, of which there were many, including the head of security of Morgan Stanley, whose story is one of the most amazing stories that, um, that makes America, America. It's just a beautiful story, the head, of, uh, the head of security for Morgan Stanley, that I will tell and retell every 9-11. I've had his, uh, I've had his bride on many a time. But uh, I think I'll just take it on my own on Monday. And uh, you'll like it, David. Anyway, just a tease. Anyway, just some thoughts. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, Mr. Bill told me I was talking about the head of security at Morgan Stanley and never mentioned his name, Rick Rascorla, if you want to look him up. Rick Rascorla, hell of a story. Um, I'll save it mostly for Monday, but if anyone wants to look it up, uh, feel free. That was the kind of guy we were saying people needed to be listening to and didn't. Um, if you have the chance, interesting column in the Republic this morning saying that Republicans are overwrought about the renewed mask mandates and potential for school closings. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um but it r- reminded me to let you all know about this great piece in the New York Post on Randy Weingarten, head of the teachers union, and um, what she did in her role and Joe Biden's and Dr. Jill Biden's role in keeping schools closed. It's based on this new book Franklin Four has written about the Biden presidency. She says, Foro proceeds to tell a story about Weingarten's history with Joe Biden. President Barack Obama had applauded a school board in Rhode Island for getting rid of teachers with appalling test results. Randy Weingarten confronted Vice President Biden about it, and he promised her, I hear you. Give me time. I'll work this out. Weingarten felt as if she had discovered a genuine ally, presumably Barack Obama proving himself not to be a genuine ally. She had, Markowitz writes, a genuine ally to join her in her goal of putting kids last and making sure failed teachers get to keep their jobs. And then comes this admission from the Fuller book, quote, For the sake of avoiding conflict, especially conflict with an ally, the Biden administration trimmed its goal of returning kids to school to a fraction of what they promised on the campaign trail. Those of us watching at the time knew what had been done, that Weingarten had gotten what she wanted, closed schools, from President Biden. But of course the White House would never admit that. So Jen Psaki went out and lied that the goal had somehow always been teaching in classrooms at least one day a week in the majority of schools by day 100. That would be following the science, wouldn't it? One day a week in the majority of schools by day 100. On the day Psaki delivered this lie, 66.1% of schools were already open for at least one day of in-person learning per week. A few days before that press conference, the AFT had been allowed to alter language in the CDC school reopening policy. 
keeping kids out of school was all going according to plan. Or, as Foer breezily concludes, Biden was in effect conceding that for thousands of students, the rest of the school year in 2021 would be lost to the pandemic. No, Franklin, their school year wasn't lost to the pandemic. The school year from which thousands of kids are still struggling to recover was lost to Randy Weingarten. Thanks for letting us know for certain Joe Biden made that happen. Remember this, when a generation of children falls behind in test scores, graduation, and earnings, and when the racial gap in education widens even further, the media will blame Republicans. Always remember it was the Union and the Democrats. This is their fault. They sacrificed your children. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 